Well, good morning. Hopefully you had a chance to uh, get a handout. We'll be walking through the handout this morning. We'll get started in just a minute, but I'll give you a chance to find those. All right, well, good to see you all this morning. We're continuing on in our uh, Finishing Well series, and uh, this week we're going to be talking about the beauty of aging bodies. And so uh, thinking about how we age, (laughs) you're shaking your head no, Patty, already? From the title? (laughs) Good, well, maybe it's a relevant topic then, I guess, right? Okay. Okay. yeah, the beauty of aging bodies. And so what the the goal of this, well, will be to talk through how we think about bodily beauty in general and then in in specific how we think of it when it comes to aging. And as I was going through these things um over the last few weeks, um I've realized to cram it all into one lesson's probably too much. So this is probably going to be a two-parter. Um and the the reason for that is I think there are some foundational categories that um, we're often deprived of when we think about beauty. And so, first of all, kind of getting those categories, and then in particular, extending those to how we view uh, even a more tricky thing on the spectrum of that, which would be beauty when it comes to aging. Uh, so this will probably be a two-parter, and then we'll do one more lesson is the plan, and that will be on the glory of aging minds and really talk about how we think through what glory is still seen um, when someone's losing mental faculties, in particular struggling with dementia. Um, and so we'll kind of think about that, which brings to bear lots of questions about personhood, um, which is really fitting even today being Sanctity of Life Sunday. A lot of the things that we think about at the beginning of life, we are somewhat inconsistent about at the end of life, and it really doesn't set us up well to see the personhood of people who are struggling with um, memory loss and things of that sort. So that's kind of where we're going. Nice, light topics, I guess. (laughs) Um, But I I think these things are really helpful for us. Um, So today, the beauty of aging bodies is what we want to think about. And really what we're getting at here is how do we view our bodies as we age? And how do we see beauty that remains and and how that all works? Um, How do we view the bodies of those we love as they are aging and their bodies are changing? Um, um, One of the things that we've mentioned in the past is when we rely on sources. And so I just want to be upfront about this. I did um, my Doctor of Ministry work on a project called Seeing and Seeking Embodied Beauty. So it's something that I studied for a while and put together in this thing that I had to present. And the reason I want to let you know that is I'm trying to distill a lot of things into what's more help, most helpful for all of us, but also know that if you get stuck on any of it or if it's like, wait, where did you get that? There's a whole body of research behind it, and I'd be happy to talk through that. Um, it, it's coming out of all that, but trying not to get lost in the weeds as we go through it, uh, so just so you can know that. So as we think about aging bodies, um, we live in a culture where age, for the most part, isn't valued, and age overall tends to equal loss as people think about it. Um, since we tend to value youth, um, aging Maybe it brings with you some wisdom or financial stability, but other than that, it's not really adding anything, is how things tend to be viewed. This is especially true when it comes to how it works for women. Um, men can kind of pull off this distinguished gentleman thing. Um, I, Darcy and I frequently talk about how unfair it is. Like, I can gain weight and people say I look better, uh, and it doesn't work that way for ladies as much. So the, the deck's stacked in a really interesting way, especially um, as, as aging goes on. Um, we also live in a culture that places a really high priority uh, on appearance, 
And the appearance that is typically the basis of judgment is typically a youthful appearance, right? If you think of a pretty face or something, probably what's going to be coming into your mind are more youthful images. And then we also live in a time where one is increasingly able to alter their own appearance. And that's, that's a pretty interesting thing in, in light of history. It creates all kinds of um, bioethical issues uh, on a, a large scale. But when it comes to cosmetic alterations, um, we have all kinds of options at our disposal that can um, change the effects of aging, not necessarily reverse them, um, but, it, but make them look different as one goes throughout life. And so... The deck is really stacked against us in a lot of ways if we say God wants us to be able to see the beauty in aging and that there even is beauty in aging. I'm, my goal is to show you that there is. It's just we haven't been trained to see it very well. Uh, but there's a whole lot of beauty to see. And so it begins really with a question, why care about bodily beauty in the first place? Um, sometimes in Christian circles, this can be a response that bodily beauty is just something of this world. Beauty is vain, it's fleeting, it's passing quickly. Therefore, it has no value or very limited value. Um, So why even care about bodily beauty in the first place? Well, bodily beauty matters, and bodily beauty matters to God. Um, And so we need to think on some big concepts here and then we'll, we'll move into some other things. So, But just track with me on this. We were created to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, right? Westminster Shorter Catechism starts right off that way. So created to glorify God. And God is glorious, right? And his glory is seen everywhere. The heavens declare the glory of God. Glory permeates creation. Glory permeates the redemptive story. Glory is the end to which we are all moving and all things are headed, right? The glory of God and the sheer delight in it. Um, And so God's glory is everywhere. And we as image bearers, we see that glory as it's put on display in the created order in particular. And when we see it, a fitting response for us is to delight in the beauty that we see. And you've probably had that experience, right? A a beautiful landscape or scenery, or you go to the Grand Canyon or something like that. And the glory of it that's shown because it comes from a God of glory conjures up something within us. And that experience, part of it at least, is delight. And that part of delight is really what's um, related a lot to beauty. And so, it's important to understand that glory and beauty are very closely related. As Christians, we probably talk a lot about glory, but we may not realize how close beauty is to that as a concept. And so um, I just want to show that a little bit. There are a lot of verses that we could look at, but Psalm 96, verses 3 through 9, notice how in the parallel parallelism of the poetry that's going on here, It's talking about God's glory, right? Verse 3, declare his glory. But then it's also going to bring in all these other terms that we would say are beauty terms, like splendor and majesty, words related to aesthetic delight. And so uh, let me just walk us through this. Psalm 96, verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. He lives and dwells in beauty. He's surrounded in it. It it really describes who he is. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. See how that's all interconnected there? Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor, the radiance that brings delight of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. 
And so you see, the whole context is about declaring the glory of God on a worldwide scale, right? This isn't even just believers who can see and understand uh, this as a concept. And splendor, majesty, strength, beauty, they're all aspects of, that relate to his glory. So just hang with me for one more minute, and we'll, then we'll uh, move on to other things. But this is, I think this is a helpful way of thinking about how glory and beauty relate. Um, how many of you have ever played with a light prism? Those are pretty fun, right? Yeah. I uh, went on Amazon to see how you buy them, and when, when I had them, they were just this little, like, um, parallelogram type thing. Now there's all kind of, you can get ones that, like, dangle and shine rainbows all over your room. It's pretty cool. But anyhow, uh, Newton discovered that as light Uh, comes and goes into a prism, the prism shows that white light is composed of all these different wavelengths of light, right? And they come together and we perceive them as white light. It's a helpful analogy for thinking about how we view God and his glory. So we have God and from God's glory, um, he sends out his glory. In creation, it's on display it, through what he created, through what he does. Um, it's, it's all over. It just comes from God, emanates from him. When we say, what is the glory of God? There are a whole bunch of aspects to his glory. And you can see like holiness and majesty and awe. These are different wavelengths of what hits us when we experience the glory of God. Ah, where you just fall down on your face because you've encountered his glory, right? The majesty that's just above our fathoming of like the the royalty and the wonder of who he is. But also the beauty, the beauty of who God is. And we could summarize it as this. Beauty is a quality of the glory of God that brings delight, that when we encounter the glory of God, there's something about it that within us says, that is delightful. I love it. I want it. It's fitting. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And uh, we can be at a loss of words of, of how to even describe it. And so what this means when we, this again is just answering the question, why do we even care about beauty, right? Because uh, our tradition can tend to jettison beauty, for the sake of things like knowledge and proposition and things like that. And the aesthetic gets downplayed. Um, that's, that's losing an aspect of the glory of God when we do that. And so here's a way we could summarize some of what we've been thinking about. We were made to see and reflect God's glory. And we could prove this from all kinds of passages, right? But that, that's what we were made for. We see it. And then the amazing thing about us as image bearers is in a way that's distinct even from the rest of creation, we reflect his image bearing glory. We put it on display somehow as those created in his image, uh, which is just this amazing privilege that we have. So we were made to see and reflect God's glory, which then if you understand beauty as an aspect, a quality of the glory of God that brings delight, we were made to see and reflect beauty in our bodies since our bodies were created by God to display glory. Does that make sense? So part of our purpose in existence uh, is that we would perceive beauty where it is and that it would work its correct response in us, which is delight. Um, And part of our purpose as image bearers, and especially as those who are being redeemed, which we'll see even more as we go on, is that we are able to display glory and therefore beauty in amazing ways through our bodies. And so as believers, we can see it and we can seek to put it on display. Uh, as God's at work in us. Um, so this is all rooted really in, in what it means to be an image bearer of God. The problem that I think we really run into is we often have not been trained well to see where beauty is. Um, and in particular, when it comes to embodied beauty. And so now we can uh, move into thinking about um, types of beauty. How's everyone doing, though? Darcy. Oh, yeah, the uh, glare lights are on. Let me 
make it a more aesthetically pleasing experience for you. <laughs> Did it bring delight? Now that, uh, anyhow, we'll... I'd open it up for questions, but we lost the microphone. Did anyone take it home? Anyone find like a microphone in your purse somewhere or like a, in your suitcase? Um, okay, well, if you happen to find a microphone in a pouch, let us know. Um, if not, I'll just keep talking. So now, so, so we're made to see this, right, and put it on display. Where is it? How is it being shown forth in creation is really kind of the next question. So types of beauty. I want to begin by talking about, I think, how we tend to think of it. Um, and I've just labeled it as selfie beauty, um, it's just a handle. It could be snapshot beauty. It could be whatever. But what I want to use it as is um, the way we tend to think about beauty that in and of itself isn't always wrong, but it's incomplete. And so it's kind of the foil of what the rest of it builds off of. But okay, so selfies. Selfies aren't wrong, right? Uh, there are accurate things about selfies when we take a picture of ourselves like that. Um, they are a true representation. It depending on how you use the filters and all those kinds of things. Um, but selfies are far from the whole story. And I, and I think that's a helpful handle. They, by nature, flatten. Um, they limit. They only capture part of the glory, part of the beauty of, of what's actually taking place. And so when we come to our bodies we, and we say, where do I find beauty in my body? Usually what we're thinking through is this more limited aspect of beauty, this kind of selfie beauty. Um, we ask the question, what would make a beautiful snapshot, which is by nature going to really restrict where beauty can be found. And so there are a few tendencies of how we think about bodily beauty perception. We tend to think about physical beauty very narrowly. We tend to focus on just certain parts of a person. Oh, look at their eyes, their nose, um, the symmetry that's happening there. Um, we tend to focus on just a certain type of person or look that is held out as what's beautiful. And we tend to see beauty as conformity to a very small standard when we think of the diversity of people, right? And so... One limitation of this snapshot beauty is just that it's time-bound. Um, as time goes on, our perceptions of what is beautiful, they go in and out of fashion, right? This is just a, a clip of dress styles for ladies since 1891 to 1914, and it just keeps going. It's an amazing uh, catalog you can find that just shows how these things have changed from tons of material to less material to which parts are emphasized and not emphasized by the clothing. And so um, snapshot beauty, it's helpful to realize it's very time bound in what it tends to look for. It's also culturally bound. You go to different cultures and different aspects of a person are what is deemed as beautiful. I could have Tons more image there, but things like elongated necks and earlobes, um, very white skin versus darker skin, like what skin tones people are looking for. And as we think about this, it usually represents what we're looking for in snapshot beauty is typically representing the most unattainable things. We're looking for the most unique things usually overall. Um, Variety is usually what's not appreciated in selfie beauty. If you think about it kind of culturally, what happens in situations of poverty and when survival is kind of the main day-to-day -day goal, what kind of appearance is seen as attractive? More rounder, plump appearances, um, because it signifies plenty, and it's different than everyone else who's just surviving. In cultures um, where there's more abundance, what's often seen as attractive? Being thin, right? And so because in the abundance, less people are as thin. Um, so there are all these factors that are going on that are pushing us toward this more unattainable thing and small thing as the place where beauty is found. Other things that selfie beauty does is it limits 
It, it removes physical beauty from the realm of interaction most of the time. It's some sort of a still or a pose, and it's zooming in and taking the object, for the most part, out of the rest of its world. Um, we also tend to sharply distinguish, just kind of naturally, between inner and outer beauty, right? We look at a snapshot and we evaluate it through the lens of outward appearance, and then we think about a person interacting with them through the realm of their inner person, but the two are usually aren't overlapping in our minds very often. And so we could symbolize selfie beauty um, as just this square. So in your handout, there's all these little icons of a person. Um, and that person, I'm going to like draw arrows and squares and stuff just to keep you occupied. But hopefully it also represents kind of what we're trying to summarize here. So if we were try to, trying to summarize this selfie beauty concept, which is accurate but limited, a square kind of captures it. It's showing part of the story, but it's not showing the whole story of where beauty and glory can be found. And so the, the beauty of Scripture is that it pushes us to see beyond this square when it comes to how we view our bodies and how we view bodily beauty in the world. It helps us see these layers and types of beauties. And, and really what it is, is it's the, many, the multifaceted way God's glory is put on display through embodied people, uh, and both in the world and in our bodies. And so scripture pushes us into these other categories. Um, so, one of the other categories then is holistic beauty. Holistic beauty. Holistic, um, if we think about what that word means, it just means that we see more than just the parts. It means that we consider the whole, which when you spell whole, it's W-H-O-L-E, but when you say holistic, you drop the W for some reason. So, fascinating. Anyhow, holistic just has an H. Okay, that's all. Um, so if we think about imagery of this, holistic beauty is having, having us zoom that square out and just look at what else is going on. <laughs> look at the whole. And it can be the whole of the person, and it can be the whole of creation. Um, selfie music, selfie, no, sorry, selfie beauty if we think of it like in terms of music, it would tend to only focus on one or two notes, right? Oh, these notes are really pretty. I really love C sharp or something. Um, and, and we're always looking for, when can I hear that note in all that's going on? And that's what culture prizes. Holistic beauty has us think in terms of all the notes and then also how the notes are working together in the entire symphony. There's way more beauty to be had in music than just hearing one particular tone. And so the Bible calls us to consider the beauty of our entire body. Song of Songs is a book of the Bible where a lot of beauty language is found. It's also a book that a lot of us don't tend to read or know how to understand. And, and that shows in our conceptions of beauty, I think. But part of what the song does as it enters us into this world where two people praise the beauty of each other is you'll notice in their descriptions of the lovers, they're praising all of the body parts. Um, eyes, hair, teeth, lips, cheeks. And the summation is, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Um, the Bible is pushing us towards seeing the entirety of the person and finding what glory and beauty is there. The song um, speaks of encountering the other's body as a garden experience. 
which is just fascinating. I, I'd like to find an even better like garden picture. But as you read through the song, you're, you're introduced to all kinds of animals and sights and trees and smells and water and hills. This whole scenery that's indicative of an experience that's filled with variety and interconnectedness in this beauty that is there. And so, and the, the lover sees the other person, the beloved, sees them through the lens of this entire scenery, right? The more the person in the Song of Songs, the more the man or the woman comes to see and appreciate the beauty and the glory of the entire garden, the more they're able to see the beauty and glory of the person in front of them. It's not a competition, it, they, they build together to better appreciate the beauty that's going on. And so what holistic beauty reminds us of is this, that beauty displayed in a body is always more than just the silhouette of a body. It's the entirety of the person, and it's the entirety of the person within the entirety of creation as well. So what does this mean practically? Um, just kind of this image of holistic beauty. I think for the most part, we tend to struggle with our own perception of our bodily beauty, right? I, I don't know that I've ever met a person who says, I just love the way I appear in all forms. Um, it bothers people to varying degrees. It orients their life to varying degrees. But usually there are parts of ourselves that we look at and say, that is not beautiful. Um, and this holistic beauty helps us. Like when we find ourselves focusing on one body part of ourselves that we don't like or that we wish we could change, holistic beauty says, zoom out and consider the rest of your body as this whole display of beauty as it is made to all be together, not just an isolated part. When we find ourselves having a very small view of what's attractive and finding ourselves, how much do I measure up to that view of either weight or hair color or shape of things, zoom out, holistic beauty says, to consider the beauty of variety. The garden, did I go the right way? This wouldn't be the picture that it is if all the trees were evergreens. Now, even that's pretty cool. But if all we had were evergreens and no soil, no sky, no whatever, but yet that's what snapshot beauty is, is tending to have us think about ourselves. But instead, consider the beauty of variety of how you and your body expresses and shows things about God's glory that maybe other bodies don't show in the same way. It's a pretty amazing thing. And when you find yourself objectifying um, parts of the body, considering them apart from the rest of the whole, zoom out to see that person within the entirety of the created order. I think this is especially helpful when we think of battling lust uh, and the allure of pornography is it tends to really zero in on certain body parts and objectify them, right? It, it isolates things to parts. Holistic beauty says, zoom out and see a body that's situated within a world, that's situated within a complex of relationships, of being someone's daughter and potentially someone's lover. Um, and as we zoom out, it takes away and puts in proper perspective the beauty that we're made to see of the whole person uh, and the whole scene. How's everyone doing? Hanging in there? Okay, so we've a few types of beauty. I just want to get through uh, the others, and then we'll, we'll bring it all together. So we see this holistic beauty, the beauty that calls us to zoom out. Then another aspect that we find throughout Scripture is what we could call fitting beauty. Glory and beauty are seen in how the parts relate to one another. Um, it's we could summarize it as this. Fitting beauty is seeing the wonder of how our bodies were made to interact in the world and how they do that. Um, William Dearness, who's written about um, beauty and aesthetics, he says this, 
when, when thinking especially about an Old Testament conception of, of beauty, he says the loveliness of an object or an event was simply its being what it was meant to be. The beautiful was often what we might call merely the fitting. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because we tend to think of beauty as what's exceptional, right? The uniqueness, that nobody else is like this, and so that must be what's beautiful. But there's a whole fittingness in Scripture that's described with aesthetic delight, delight that's found when things are just functioning as they were made to function. And so we find in Scripture, brothers dwelling together in unity is something that's beautiful in Psalm 133. Jonathan's conduct toward David is beautiful. See the the function, the fittingness. The righteous completing their years, Job 36, 11. We'll be thinking more about that as we apply this in particular to aging, but there's something fitting, the Bible's saying, about God's people completing their years and growing older. Uh, There's a beauty to that. The path of wisdom is something that's beautiful. God's word, a rebuke to the wicked, the feet of those who bring good news. Do you see how these things that are doing what they were made to do, you can look and it brings a delight within us. And what that is, is that's a testimony to the beauty of God creating things. Um, They're being described as beautiful because they were doing what they're made to do. And when we see this, it it brings delight. Um, Some examples of this could be when we watch athletic performances, right? And you see a body be able to do these amazing things. Um, We think of a musician performing or an engineer designing or a craftsman who builds, and there's a beauty to the functionality of what's happening. And so we may think of that on these big-scale glorious levels. And again, the uniqueness, oh, they just did a physical thing that I could never do. That's cool. But there's also beauty in just the fittingness of the ordinary things. If you just like look at your hand for a minute, you could pick which one you want to look at. Um, look at them and think of how perfectly designed they are to interact with the world. I mean, all of the thought that went into what this thing can do, it's amazing. And all the different ways that it can be used. Um, And as we watch our hand move throughout that, even as I'm talking, my hands are doing things, right? Sometimes they're really weird things. My daughter will point out to me. Um, But it's, it's assisting in the embodied experience of being here, right? But as we see what our hands do throughout the day, there's something that's glorious about that. There's something beautiful about that. And we can learn to appreciate that even in its more ordinary forms. You don't have to be a hand model to display the beauty of the fittingness of our hands. And it goes on and on with all kinds of body parts that we have. Um, fitting beauty, it pushes us beyond the snapshot of this limited form. When we think about bodies um, and the fittingness of them, that's shown in all different stages in different ways, isn't it? Um, Think about pregnancy, for example. Pregnancy presses beyond what snapshot beauty tells us is beautiful, right? Right? It presses beyond slim and slender. It moves into stretching and growing and reshaping. And yet, have you seen the beauty of a pregnant woman? And we even have a term we say about it. You're glowing. What is that capturing? What it's capturing is there's something delightful about what's taking place here. There's a fittingness to what's going on that puts glory on display. Um, a body doing something that it was wonderfully made to do. And um, that's seen in all kinds of things. Now, one of the things I think we need to open our, our minds up to a little bit is that our bodies, it seems, were made to experience a progression throughout human existence. Um, 
we could think of it, and, and it's somewhat speculative, but this is hugely grounded in scripture, right? Adam and Eve were created and looked like 22-year-olds in the garden. No, we don't know how old they looked in the garden, do we? What if they looked like they were 85? Um, 85 going to live 900, but going to live forever if they obeyed. Anyhow, we're speculating here, right? But you have Adam and Eve, right? Created in some way. What what, what was their mandate? It was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? They weren't going to give birth to 22-year-olds, fully formed human beings. They were going to give birth to babies, and those babies were going to grow and progress with age. The progression of aging is not a fallen thing. The ending in death is an intrusion of the fall, how that line breaks into it, I mean, it's seen at every phase. We'll talk about that more next week. But the progression of various stages of life is something that human bodies were designed for. And so what does that mean? It means that we can see fittingness in the various stages of life. Selfie beauty causes us to look at ourselves and compare it to an 18-year-old, a 22-year-old, whatever that is, instead of saying, what is fitting about this particular phase of life? Darcy and I were just talking about how our kids are getting older, and I describe it as this. None of them are squishy anymore. And what I mean by that is this. There's, there's an appropriateness and a fittingness to those younger ages where there's just something squishy and snuggly about them, right? But as we get older, the squishiness changes. It comes back later, but it goes away for a little while, right? And, and that's fitting, right? You don't look at a child and think, oh, they shouldn't be so squishy. That's weird. You think that's fitting as a child. And then you look at um, a young man, and he's less squishy and more muscular, and there's something fitting and beautiful about that. At every phase, there's something that just says, that's right and good, even though the fall is mixed in with it. And again, we'll piece that out next week. Um, when I was doing some discussions about my project in general, I, ha- I was talking with people in various age groups and phases, and I, I had a, uh, a lady who was in the, the grandmother stage of life, and she was telling a story where her grandchild crawled up on her lap and said, Grandma, you're just so squishy, and I love it, right? And what she was saying is, I, it would be weird for me if I were in my 22-year-old body having my granddaughter crawl up in my lap. There's something fitting and appropriate about the fact that my body has gone through these things and that as we get older, it stores fat in various ways and in different places and at different degrees. Like it's all part of the progression. And instead of seeing it as complete loss compared to a snapshot of what was, we can see there's fitting beauty that's there because those wrinkles are there because that face has smiled a lot in its life. And there's something fitting about seeing that. We could think, you know, on the other side of the holidays, many of us have some extra pounds reminding us of, of what took place or whatever. Our society tells us to, like, see that as loss, see that as bad. There's a fittingness to we had a time of celebration and food and drink with friends, and our bodies show that in ways. And there's something that's good about that, right? Um, And we could go on and on uh, about that. But there's also something fitting about gray hair and no hair that shows that one has gone through a progression of life, and there's a lot that's of glory that's been on display and is presently on display. Um, So part of what this means then as we think about fitting beauty is God is inviting us to become um, admirers of how our bodies show the fittingness of God's design as they progress through life, having an eye toward that, not just seeing it as total loss. All right, we'll talk about one um, last category then. This is the category of ethical beauty. Ethical beauty. Um, when we mention that, probably what comes to your mind is this. Oh, that's, this is where we talk about inner beauty. Um, and as Christians, we get really excited about inner beauty because that's something we can hang on to regardless of what's going on outside our bodies. Um, there is truth to that. But inner beauty 
is not disembodied. <laughs> um, our, well, I'll just talk through it. If beauty can be seen in an object being what it was meant to be, which is fitting, it's being what it's meant to be, then how the body is used is also important. And the way the Bible frames this up is, is that body being used to lead someone toward God or away from God? Which is an interesting way to think about it. Um, How is this body interacting with others and interacting with God is what we see with the ethical layer of beauty. Um, William Dearness again describes it like this. In the Old Testament, the contrast that we have seen is not between beauty and ugliness, but between beauty in its setting, serving God's purpose, and beauty that is prostituted by leading away from the just order that God intended. You see that? So um, is, is it leading toward God or away from God? is this question that as we see it serving the ends for which it was made, which is leading toward God, there's a beauty to that. There's a delight that's seen in that. Um, One thing that I think is just interesting as kind of a side is that people are never spoken of as ugly in the Bible. You cannot find a verse that says that someone was ugly. The only thing that we find were in uh, Joseph's dream or Pharaoh's dream about the ugly cows, these thin cows that, um, and so there's a whole reason. They weren't functioning like they were supposed to function, right? They were a sign of famine. And then there's a, a description about Leah's eyes being weak or soft, which is different than ugly, and it's, um, it's different. Image bearers in Scripture are never ugly, because we're created in God's image. And we display that glory in various ways. And the more that we are oriented toward God in his ways, there's a glory and a beauty that's there. Um, There's another layer of beauty when we function in a way that's in accord with how we were created to be. And when, when we don't understand this, what we're tempted to do is throw things out, like beauty and appearance and adornment, We say, oh, those things are bad because they can lead to bad things, rather than saying, no, those things can be beautiful. It's how are they being used. And so, like an amazing study of this, and and I think this will help us get the picture, is in Isaiah 3. In Isaiah 3, the women of Israel are denounced for um, the way that they are living, Um, they're denounced for outstretched necks and seductive glances and wearing jewelry. And we can read a passage like that and say, see, external adornment is what is in and of itself the problem. You know what the complete counter to all of that is? In the book of Song of Songs, everything that's denounced in Isaiah 3 is praised. Her neck, her jewelry, the way she walks, the glances that she gives. It's the same terminology. It's, is it away from God or toward God? Isn't that amazing? Um, it also, Proverbs 7, um, 14 to 18, speaks of the actions of an adulterous woman. Uh, and it, it, he's warning his son about how it is an assault on all of the senses. Um, the way she says things, the way she smells, the way she walks. It's all the senses. You're being warned about all of that. And yet, in the song of songs, each of those senses is again picked up and delighted in. And so it just reminds us that it's not the thing, it's not the body part, it's not the movement, it's how it's used that makes it ethically fitting and beautiful. And so... When we say, what does this mean? Well, what it means is that when we think about our bodies, they show ethical beauty in how they make godly characteristics visible. If you think about godliness, we, we often think of it as kind of an internal thing, but it's always expressed through a body. We've been talking about this, why our bodies matter and how embodiment is so important. But Think of Ephesians 4, 
talks about a renewed mind, which our minds are a part of our bodies, working honestly with our hands, giving to those in need, speaking truth in an edifying, grace-imparting way. Those are all godly things that come out in ethical ways. And so as we see our body doing those things, it's beautiful. It's doing what it was made to do. Romans 6 talks about how all of our members, our body parts, are now instruments that can be used to bring glory to God when they used to do the opposite. Romans 12, as we've talked about, our entire bodies are now able to function as living sacrifices. And so when you see godliness on display, this this is how we see and, and appreciate ethical beauty. When you see godliness on display, realize that the person's body is involved in that process. It's not in spite of their body that they're saying a kind word to you. It's not in spite of their body that they're able to give you a look of care. It's through their body that the beauty of what God is doing is being put on display. We don't need to separate the two. So ethical beauty helps us see when godliness is on display through bodies, uh, that is something that's beautiful. Um, It comes out of a heart that's oriented toward God and it leads us toward God as well. All right, so so let me just tell you where we've been and where we're going to go. Not today, later. Um, this is what I wanted to do is just help us see how robust the biblical categories of seeing embodied beauty really are. Because unless we have those categories and unless we're viewing it in that type of breadth, then when we come to the aging process, um, we find ourselves ill-equipped to see where beauty is still on display and where beauty is actually growing and gaining where it should only be loss. And that's what we'll talk about next week. We'll talk about beauty between the ages, how in our current situation in life, there are these different layers and and we could view them as like wavelengths of light. Again, I think light is just helpful imagery for all this, but there's an aspect of loss and fallenness that is a part of us. There's also an aspect of the good that remains and the glory that it was made to show. And then there's also a layer of the way God is working gain in all the things that should only be a loss. And all of that comes together and can be seen as the light changes through the various stages of aging and embodied existence. Um, So we'll see that. And then in our, our last week together, when we talk about the glory of aging minds, it's really coming to understand these categories of personhood And what our society tends to view as a loss of personhood, meaning intellectual capacity and memory in particular, does not make us any less image bearers. Um, And so how do we come to see the glory and beauty of a person created in the image of God whose memory is almost non-existent? Um, So we'll talk about that. But as we conclude... I just want to pull it together with some good news, I think. We were made. This is, this is the amazing thing about it. I don't know what you think of your body. I don't know what you think of how old you are or how young you are or um, all of the different aspects of it that I know are mixed with all kinds of, of suffering and loss and difficulty and struggle and groaning, Romans tells us. But the amazing thing is we were made for glory. Um, Psalm 8, you have made him, mankind, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Um, We, as those made in the image of God, have been crowned with glory. And yes, that glory has been profoundly affected by the fall, but it remains. And the beauty is it is coming. Philippians 3.21, God will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. The fullness of what our bodies were made to do, of who we were made to be, and who we were made to be is glorious and it's beautiful. 
And it's beautiful in all of these categories. Think of what awaits us. Perfect, holistic beauty. The glory of everything made right. You talk about zooming out and seeing a landscape. You know, you can look at a a beautiful scene on a postcard, and if you zoomed in far enough, you'd see those mosquitoes biting people and the trash that's on the shore. Like, you'd see all these imperfections of this age, right? And you'd see this beautiful scenery in this context of a war-torn country where people are at odds with each other. When you see a snapshot of the glory that awaits us, there is no imperfection in it. Everything is right and how it was made to be. And so we experience complete holistic beauty. We will experience complete fitting beauty. Everything working together as it was made to relate to one another. We don't even know what this could be like. We think of like, how would lions and snakes get along with little kids? And Isaiah says, hey, It's going to happen. (laughs) There's a fittingness that's hard for us to even imagine, and it will be on display in our everyday experience. And the fittingness of our bodies doing what they were made to do without any limitation, without any groaning, without any of those aches and pains that we just live with every day. And it will all be in a context of perfect ethical beauty where we won't want anything other than what is absolutely right and good and fitting. It's just an amazing thing. That's what awaits us. Because really what we are awaiting is what the psalmist talks about. Psalm 27.4, this is his longing. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That longing is fulfilled for us in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what awaits us. And the amazing thing is we can see echoes of what awaits us still, even in these bodies that are fallen, even in the ones that are progressing, even though we're not always leading one another perfectly toward God in his goodness, It's pointing us ahead to what awaits. C.S. Lewis says in um, Till We Have Faces, puts it on the lips of one of the characters, the sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to find the place where all the beauty came from. Do you see how learning to see embodiment that brings delight helps us long for and look for the glory of God and to see his beauty that then is shot through this entire world and he gives us opportunity to put on display. It's a, it's a pretty amazing thing. Um, and so we'll talk about how we still see that in the overlap of the ages next week. And I, th- I think those categories will be really helpful. Well, thanks. I'll uh, let you soak on that and we'll... Um, pick up on it next week. And if you have any questions or feedback, I'd be happy to to know that throughout the week and we'll see if we can look into those things next time. So why don't I close us in prayer and then we can move on. Our Father in heaven, we are amazed at who you are, the glory that you display, the perfections of your being, and that you have put on all this on display in our world and even on us as those who were made in your image. Help us to better see these things, to appreciate them, to give thanks, to lament where they've been lost and to long for what is to come. Um, We thank you for your perfect love for us in this entire process. And we pray that you would help us to be captivated by your beauty and to be able to affirm and praise it in others as we seek it ourselves. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.